This is an AMI podcast. I'm Kelly McDonald. I'm Ramia Amadin, and this is Kelly and Ramia. Live from the Accessible Media Studios, this is Kelly and Company. Entertainment, lifestyle, and great conversation. It's AMI-audio's on-air community, and everyone's invited. And now, the host of today's show, Ramya Amuthan. Welcome, welcome. This is Kelly and Company on a Thursday afternoon, and Kelly is just crossing off his days. All the vacation days, I mean. Days allocated right. for the year, and therefore we uh, we take off these days. And Danielle, whose voice you just heard, Danielle McLaughlin, is helping us fill in. You've been helping us uh, pretty much all through October, Danielle. And every time we've had you on, there's always some fantastic discussion. So, as always, I look forward. Oh, me too. It's always so much fun spending time with you and with Kelly. And I never know quite what's going to happen, which is part of the joy. That's true. <laughs> that is part of the joy. Exactly. We keep each other on our toes. Uh, and that's the the fun part about having a co-hosted show as well, right? Like not necessarily knowing where conversations will lead because you don't know what the other person's thinking. That's right. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, we'll get into some of these conversations. Let's start with telling people what's coming up on today's show. Well, if my screen reader will allow me, we'll talk about it. But I believe the one I'm supposed to tell you about is Gardner Susan Kearney telling us about plants and emotion. We're asking the questions, can plants feel? Do they have feeling? We'll find out. I I think I have at least one plant that's angry at me. So, yes. (laughs) (laughs) We, We speak with March of Dimes, Canada's official spokesperson for National Disability Employment Awareness Month, Gift Chuma, disability advocate, wheelchair user, and assistive technology specialist about what the organization is doing to help attain career success. And we have our roundtable in the second hour. That's our mark for Thursdays. And joining us is a good friend of ours who's now moved to Newfoundland. We'll be checking in with Mark Phoenix. I'm very excited to talk to Mark. It's been a couple months, and it's always nice to have him back on the roundtable. Danielle, if you don't mind, I'm going to throw to you for uh, our clips and chat about some headlines because my yes. computer is acting strangely. So, Please. No um, trouble, Ramya. Um, I'm very us. interested to talk about these. The first clip we're going to talk about is has to do with uh, Kanye West. As Kanye West continues to lose business partnerships over his anti-Semitic comments, fans can still access his music, but some are staging their own personal boycotts. Can you hear me? Yes, and you'll still be able to hear Kanye West music on Spotify, the music streaming service with the most paid subscribers worldwide. Spotify CEO Daniel Ek tells Reuters that West's anti-Semitic comments are awful, but his music doesn't violate Spotify's anti-hate policies, so he sees no reason to pull it. It does seem though fans are turning away on their own. Luminate says streams of West music in the U.S. were down 23% last week, and radio airplay was down 13%. We'll see if those numbers drop even further this week. Jason Nathanson, ABC News, Hollywood. So, Ramya, are you a fan of Kanye West? I don't think anybody wants to say they're a fan of Kanye West lately. <laughs> not any longer. Um, yeah, not any longer. We're all very hesitant. But it's interesting because, and the reason why this, we're hearing all kinds of things to do with Kanye right now. Okay, what he's doing on Twitter, what he's doing at Skechers. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Uh, but 
But why I picked this particular angle with Spotify is because Spotify has a history of not censoring artists. Um, the the boycott that last comes to mind before this one was when the artist, um, the late artist known as XXX Tentacion, he was putting out music that not everyone was a fan of. His lyrics weren't appealing to all members um of spotify and including hip-hop artists and so some people thought his vulgar music should be taken off the platform and this was huge like absolute huge protesting for spotify and to the very last minute they said no they did not turn um x off the platform and you know if i think they said something along the lines of, if you hate his music, don't listen to him exactly. kind of thing. And um, it was quite interesting. So I wanted to know how you thought about it because... Well, I'm afraid I, I, I agree with Spotify. Um, there's a really great way of dealing with something you don't like. And that's, you know, don't go there, don't buy it, don't listen to it. Um, I I think that censorship never works anyway. If If you can't find it on Spotify, you'll find it someplace else, undoubtedly. Um, and, you know, why give them that much, uh, you know, publicity? If, it, you know, all you need to say is, you know, this is, this is banned and people are going to rush out to buy it or to, mm. or to, you know, get access to it, you know, leave it there. And those people who feel strongly that they don't want anything to do with Kanye West any longer will duly ignore it and tell their friends to do the same. And that works. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with them. I don't think we need to have, um, you know, big places like like Spotify and other giant uh, corporations, do you know, Telling deciding it. for us what we can and can't listen to. I I want to decide, and if I you know if I have a reason to listen, I, I will, and if I have no reason to listen, I won't. Then so won't. yeah, for me that seems fair. Do you think that it's a fair thing to battle with though like i i mm. i look to you and i see okay you, you know th- there's a clear stance you're taking but do you feel that it is something that not only individuals but corporations battle with i mean sketchers has come out and oh, said yeah. no 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 we are absolutely not don't get it twisted people we're not in partnership with kanye because they right. want to save their butts well that's <laughs> it and I, th- I think they did show him the door yesterday or the day before right did, they yeah. just said farewell but you know there's there's a difference between um you know just allowing something to be someplace and then giving it an imprimatur so if if you say uh we're going to publish all of Kanye's music then you're saying uh you know we approve of Kanye whether it's the contents or him or or whatever it is if you say, uh, you know, we're going to have him, you know, advertise our shoes, um, then that's a way of making it look like you're in favor of, of you know, either what he says or who he is or, or what he does. You don't have to, you're not censoring him when you say, you know, we don't want him selling our shoes. Yeah. He's still there. He can sell, you know, um, you know, bunny slippers if he wants to, but uh, he's not selling our shoes. And I, I think that's there's a there's a good distinction you can draw between Endorsement, those two right. things. Yeah, mm-hmm. you don't need to have him endorse you. It's kind of yeah. a kiss of death these days, isn't it? <laughs> it really is. Yeah, and, yeah. and Adidas kind of closing their eyes after this yeah. as well after their partnership. But it's uh, 
It's an interesting development with Kanye, and honestly, even as an as a fan of his older music, like when he was on the hip hop scene, I I do struggle with that also because the mixing mm-hmm. the art with the artist, right? All the different That's things right. that that come yeah. with that. Um, we're not gonna have too much time to comment on this, but just to give people the message, New York, New York mayor is marking the upcoming 10th anniversary of superstorm sandy by announcing new efforts to shore up the city from coastal storm surge here in lower manhattan which was severely flooded by superstorm sandy mayor eric adams broke ground on the latest coastal resiliency project a series of flip-up gates that are nine feet tall and almost a mile long that adams and engineers say will stop the water from flooding the streets we have to prepare now Climate change is here, it's clear, and it is a present danger. This project, Adam says, has never been built before, is supposed to be completed by 2026. The funding from the federal government. Congressman Jerry Nadler. There is no threat more existential to the future of New York City or the world than that posed by the climate crisis. I'm Julie Walker at Pier 35 in New York City. Of course, we can't forget some of the most incredible natural disasters that have taken place around us. And when we commemorate but think productively uh, about how we can move forward from the, the, the things that have happened, that is, of course, wonderful to hear about. We're going to take a break. Let's come just back hope with it the- works. Right? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> that is very yeah. true. We're going to take a break and come back with Mike Fair. He's going to tell us about the third installment of Sandman. He's super excited to review this one with us. This is Kelly and Company. This is Kelly and Company on a Thursday afternoon. Thanks for joining us. And every time, I don't know if it, why it is during the show that I turn around and actually notice. Because, hold up, let me give you some context. I, I work in the dark pretty much all day. The only lights in my room are really what's coming from my screen. Uh, but then there's a bit of that light when the sun is shining that comes through as well. So I spot that right at the show <laughs> until 2 p.m. I don't notice this nice uh, sunny spot in my room. But then when I'm introing to you guys, I'm going, hey, it's sunny. So I hope wherever you are, maybe there's a little bit of sun, maybe some warmth. But anyways, enough about the weather. Let's get into some audio entertainment with Michael Fair. Oh. Hi, I'm Mike Fair iPhones, iPods, and iPads are everywhere, and they're doing great things for the blind. We explore all that, plus audio entertainment, dramas, podcasts, internet radio, and games. We share it all on Kelly and Company. Danielle McLaughlin and Ramia Amadin here, and we're very excited because it's never only a dream, not when the king of dreams is in town, at least. And after a very long wait, so it feels like for super fans, Audible has released the third act of Sandman. And Mike, you couldn't think of a better way to add to the Halloween festivities than to give us your thoughts. So let's get started. What makes the Sandman so suitable for enjoying around Halloween? Well, I think it really suits the occasion because Halloween is all about playing with traditions. It's about consequences and horror and, and mythologies. 
and, and, and just thinking outside of, of the normal, what is possible into the supernatural. So that's exactly what the Sandman is all about. Neil Gaiman is really familiar with all these traditions and myths from all kinds of different cultures. And he basically mixes and plays with a lot of different things to make the Sandman. And uh, that's, that's why the comics really resonate so well. It's just so much it they hang on really sort of timeless truths and, and things like that. So it's a really neat thing he's, he's done with these. Wow. So how much work did Audible do to build anticipation for this third act? Not much this time, pretty much none. Huh. Uh, they basically, uh, we were, uh, you know, the first couple of acts, there was a buildup. There was, you know, you knew they were coming long before. This time, you know, if you followed Dirk Maggs and Neil Gaiman like I do, then you get sort of, oh, it's done, it's ready, and they're shipping, you know, they're ready to ship, but it's up to Audible. And then there was this long wait, and Audible didn't give anything, even a date. All of a sudden, one day, bang, it was just there. And, you know, I guess this will tell them once and for all how many people just really wanted it. You know, the people who were just eagerly waiting to pounce on it like me. So hopefully that'll (laughs) give them uh, impetus to do more. (laughs) So I guess they'll use word of mouth like from you. (laughs) Yes, hopefully. Yeah. Well, there's a lot of hype about Sandman, right? Even from the Netflix series and all of the stuff, it's everywhere. So I'm sure that they were like a surprise um, a surprise drop is totally warranted here. How is it structured, the third act of Sandman? So basically you have, as is typical with these, there are a couple of strong story arcs, sort of episodes that are collected in, into arcs. And then there are some independent, there's always like one or two uh, independent episodes. So in this act, we have three episodes that start the series off and, then we jump into the first of these two uh, acts. This is like 11 and a half hours, uh, 19 episodes total. So the first one is about seven acts. Uh, it, it, uh, it's called Brief Lives, and it tells the story of their uh, search for destruction, uh, the missing brother uh, of the family. And, and, and that sort of constitutes this quest. And then another series, uh, after that, there's an independent story. And then we get into the world's end where it's another arc of about six parts that sort of concludes the series, the act, and uh, brings us to the end where uh, we, we see how uh, this, this storm of reality uh, gets resolved. So it's, it's very, uh, very different, this, this kind of act, kind of rambling, like, like the ones that came before. So uh, people will be familiar with his, his tendency to go all over the place when he tells a story. Everything's connected. It's just not always obvious right away. That's uh, that, that's always an interesting structure when you know you you start realizing how the threads come together, isn't it? Yeah, it's always neat, and it's, it's sometimes it's different things. Like sometimes it's a character that appears. Sometimes it's the Lord of Dreams, and that's the only connection is, is that Morpheus is present. Uh, sometimes it's other memories uh, of the family, uh, this endless family of the endless, these beings that that sort of live forever and death, delirium, destruction, uh, all these different things, desire, uh, features heavily in this one as well. So, yeah, very, very interesting. So, Michael, are are you uh, uh, suggesting this may not be uh, suitable for younger listeners? 
Oh, definitely it's not. This is made for adults, and Audible uh-huh. is really clear about that on their site. Uh, this is uh, Neil Gaiman wrote the original comics uh, and graphic novels for adults. This right. gets into some really dark human fantasies, desires, and tendencies, and really grapples with it. He doesn't pull away from that stuff. So, yeah, it's, this is not for children. Uh, teenagers, maybe if they're you know particularly mature, but this is this is really for adults. And possibly not for grandparents. This sounds too scary for me. <laughs> Batman does that. It veers, it veers into very scary places. Yeah, yeah, it does, actually. I, it is quite interesting, though, the plot and where they leave each act off on is also interesting. So where does the third act begin? Well, the third act begins uh, with the, with the, basically uh, Morpheus is going to to the wedding of his son Orpheus, the Greek legend, and because uh, he is in the dreaming, right? He is part of of dream. So basically, he goes to the wedding, and of course, we know what happens to Orpheus. He, uh, his his wife uh, gets gets bit with a snake and dies, and Orpheus can't accept that. He's just you know just utterly blown away by this. He just has married this wonderful woman and now she's dead. And of course he, he does, you know, as we all do, we turn to our family for help and he turns to the endless to help him. And uh, basically he, we go through his journey uh, as he tries, he goes into the underworld and uh, tries to win back his, his uh, bride to be. And, uh, of course, that leads to all kinds of other trouble, uh, and we sort of follow Morpheus along on his journey, uh, and uh, he, he goes from, from that story, we go into the rest of the acts and, and stories, and we see Dream doing his job, helping out a theater director, uh, theater director, among other things, find his courage, and a number of other things he does in the realm of, of dreams, and we also follow him uh, as as he attends to family issues. Now, has has Morpheus, Morpheus? Pardon me. Has Morpheus changed since we first met him in the first act? He doesn't. Same guy, think so. different guy. He remarks, he remarks yeah. on this. He really doesn't think he has changed, but everyone else notices that he really is changing. It's not not huge change, but it is there. Like he's more regretful. He's more feels more responsible for what he does and who is involved, who gets hurt because of his actions and decisions. So there is change, but he isn't as aware of it as others. And that's, that's certainly a, a human truth uh, that, that we can experience ourselves a lot of the time. Yeah. It's, I mean, I think that this is a pretty um, awesome, you know, great, uh, series that's been going on that people are really anticipating and very looking forward to if they haven't already heard it. Um, has Morpheus changed since we first met him in the first act, by the way? Oh, yeah. We, we just actually covered that. Um, oh, yeah, okay, okay. Uh, he, yeah, the, what about the, the, uh, the music is, and the sound? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, is next. Uh, yeah, he's... Uh, that The sound and music here are top-notch, just like they were in the first one, the sound is is done in 3D this time. So if you wear uh, AirPods, uh, make sure spatial audio is on, and it will sound like it's coming from all around you. Uh, there are a couple of really neat scenes where the sound work is just stunning, but it's it's good throughout. They use this throughout the 11 hours 
of drama. And of course, uh, you know, they have James Hannigan doing the music. He's known for movies and game scores, and he does a brilliant job with this all the way through. Uh, The music really, really holds the mood in Sandman in a lot of ways. Didn't you say you enjoyed that aspect of the Audible edition of Sandman better than the uh, Netflix version? Yes, absolutely. There's the sound okay. is much better, and also Audible goes into more depth. Like the Sandman on Netflix is structured for TV, and the stories are kind of shortened, whereas they have mm-hmm. more time in Audible to delve into these things. So uh, you know, we, we uh, hopefully, as long as they produce what's available, uh, the material they have at hand, uh, we're in for another good long ride. We're already up to like 36 hours of Sandman as things are now. Yep. Wow. If, if you're a so, binger, what do you think about the you. acting? How how does that appear to you? It's really top notch. You know, we we okay. have uh, you know a good the whole cast appears again. Like so, Def Cat Dennings, one of my favorites, is is there. Uh, you know, we have uh, Dave Harwood is is a new cast member. Uh, he plays Destruction, the mis- the brother who went missing, didn't want his responsibilities. Uh, we have uh, Will Wheaton, who is a traveler, uh, caught up in the World's End series, and that is really neat to hear him in this. And he just belongs there. Kevin Smith is a janitor in the castle of, of Morpheus, the Lord of Dreams. So in his castle, in his realm, he has a janitor, and uh, of course he's trading quips with the, the, the librarian Lucian, uh, who's played by Simon Vance, a very uh, notable uh, narrator. Uh, so, yeah, a lot of familiar voices for people to clue in on, uh, and, and they'll, they'll just be really delighted with, with uh, where they turn up and who they play. It's, it's done spotlessly throughout. Mm-hmm. Nice. Mike, we only have a couple seconds left. Do you know, or how are you feeling? Are you feeling optimistic about uh, Audible financing more acts of the Sandman? I think we're pretty hopeful. Hopefully, if they know what's good for them, they'll put up more because there's so <laughs> much. They have about they've gone through about half the material that apparently is, is that their uh, Dirk and Neil are planning to adapt if they can. So, presuming Audible keeps uh, funding, hopefully we'll see the rest of it. I would buy every single one. Uh, these are things I listen to over and over again. They're they're just they're so well done and they pack in so much wisdom, so much interesting, thoughtful stuff in these. Amazing. Well, this is awesome, Michael. I appreciate the reviews, and we're always anticipating if there's a Sandman drop, you'll come uh, at us with it right away. So thanks for doing that, and glad you enjoyed it. Oh, I certainly did. I hope everyone has fun. We will. Well, those of us who dare to listen. You can find (laughs) all three acts of the Sandman. Yeah, we are looking at you, Danielle. On Audible. (laughs) <laughs> Each of them costs an Audible credit if you're an Audible member or around $30 uh, for non-Audible members. And Mike Fair, he's back with us every Thursday to chat audio entertainment. And he's been leading leading us up to Halloween with some great ones lately. Uh, after the break, we're going to check in with Gardner Susan Kearney. And the question today is, do plants feel emotion? She's going to share her findings and her perspectives on that after the break on Kelly and Company.
Today, we have our dear friend, Susan Kearney, joining us to talk all things gardening, Ramya. It's going to be a fun time. Let's bring her on. I'm here. All right. Uh, I think we've got our... We've got our, our timing is all a little bit unusual at the moment, but I'm so glad that you're we're here because out. you were working it out. And it's really, let's face it, the best part is where we get to talk with you, Susan. Yes, now, absolutely. I understand that you are going to talk to us about plants feeling emotion. Do they? Yes. Oh, I, I, I believe they do. Yes. Um, and and they, a, a very good resource for, for that is um, a book um, called The Hidden Life of Trees, um, oh, yes. uh, what they feel and, and how they communicate. And, of course, those are the giants uh, among the plant world, and, uh, but I do think that m- most plants, they, they are alive, so somehow they, you know, not they don't have feelings or emotions like like humans do. Uh, however, um, yeah, I I do think that they do feel um, they do feel pain, um, and they they probably loneliness. Um, I I know that when um, I take a, a cutting or a, a baby off of any of the plants, I leave the babies with the mothers for a while. As as long uh, about two to three weeks uh, to see how they they go, and then um, once or twice I've actually taken the babies away, and um, they have not survived. So well, obviously there is something something there. Um, I I know with the uh, with the trees it goes through the root system, but um, I, I I there there is a communication uh, among them. Yeah, I well, that's really interesting. I read I read that book myself, and I thought I thought he was going a little bit far with talking about mother trees and and taking care yeah. of their babies. I mean, it it really mm-hmm. was very anthropomorphized. It sounded you know like <laughs> they were they were human beings. But I'm sure I've had plants that are angry at me. <laughs> Do you ever get the feeling that <laughs> you know, that somehow? There's a plant glaring at you because you've done something dreadful, only you don't know what it is. What it is, yeah, yeah, it may <laughs> may 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 not have been you, but it, yes. may, it, it may not like where it is, or um, but yes, I have, and it's interesting because when I um when I wash my large leaf plants, uh, mm-hmm. my big banana tree, um, it I, I didn't get it outside um, this year; it's it's too large. Uh, so it's yeah. going to be staying where it is, and uh, so I wash those leaves and the uh, the dracaenas, my rubber plants, the um, and the uh, uh, chi- uh, Chinese evergreens. When I wash those plants, it's very interesting because you can almost feel them saying, "Oh, thank goodness, you got all that dust off." They they do. It, it almost as if they lift their leaves a little higher. Um, they 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 do feel that when when you've taken the dust off and they can breathe easier and um, and they're clean and I've I actually enjoy doing that because I, uh, it's a very relaxing thing to do washing those leaves but also the, I think it just gives them joy. You know I think you're right. I've done that myself and and you almost you you almost can feel their relief. I, I, I yeah yeah. 
yeah, we we have a plant that um, we keep in the bathroom, and it gets it gets quite dusty. And every spring, I take it outside and give it a good spray down, and it, it just. Mm-hmm. You, you know, it, it goes, ah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a big time. Oh, thank goodness. Thank yes. you. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah. That, that is one of the things. <laughs> you know how we, when you, 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 you suddenly have a shower when you've been wanting one for so long, it's kind of like, yeah. oh gosh, yeah. that feels good. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ab- absolutely. Or when, um, and, and I, I always thank my plants, like when I, Take off um, the, the, the tomatoes, or um, uh, trim my trim my herbs for for uh, cooking, whatever. I I do. I, I thank them um, because mm-hmm. figure they've yes. hard to give that nourishment to to you know to us. So um, you know I I always thank them, and I always tell my plants what I'm going to do with them. Uh, if I'm going <laughs> to transplant them, if I was going to take their leaves off them, Aww. and uh, you know if they're you know if the dried up leaves or you, or um, water them even uh, just you know just water or turn or turn them because they need more light or even move them. They do not like to be moved and um sometimes mm-hmm. you've got to talk them into that Hopping and then into keep it. on yes. checking them yeah I, yeah absolutely I, I love that susan i <laughs> i know i know just <laughs> what you're talking about um i was uh cleaning some windows and uh realized i i thought you know i'm gonna count how many plants i have in front of this window eight I thought, okay, I'm really overdoing this. But do do, do you ever get the feeling, well, they're friends, you know? I can't move this plant someplace else because it's friends with the plant that it's next to. If you don't kill them, they're friends. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. yeah, yeah, because they don't they don't like to be moved. If they're in a certain certain place with a certain um, by other plants that they've been with for a while, that's why I think they they must somehow they must communicate. Because um, if you move that plant or take them, um, you know, into an into another room, well, the one next to it may um, start to uh, sort of droop a little bit, or it. Um, and you wonder, oh, what's what's wrong with the one I t- took away? So it, it it is interesting. I I I really do think that there there has to be something because they are alive. They're 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 living mm. things. So there mm. has to be something. And I I know what you mean about the 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 book. Although um, I'm I'm reading it for the third time. Uh, mm. I just thought, well, I sit down and and read it again. This time, actually, um, take some notes. One of the things that I found very interesting in in that book was um, they had um, wondered if trees uh, made sound, mm-hmm. and they actually had a I, I guess some sort of sound meter because you couldn't hear it with with um, the the naked ear. However, um, when there was a drought, uh, the trees made a noise because they were they were thirsty. They were losing water, mm-hmm. and um, you, know, you know trees can like they're like pumps. They just pump all that water up. So they were losing water. It, it was drought, and. Um, they could actually hear the trees making a, a, a sound, like a sound like um, like not a good sound, uh, mm-hmm. as if they were in distress. Whatever, and of course we can't hear that sound. But I wonder if some animals could, and and that mm-hmm. they wouldn't know um, if if that noise, um, because then the animals would would know that there there's not enough water, it's not enough food, 
and so they wouldn't they wouldn't come to to those particular um, areas. So I wonder if that's a communication, but uh, I'm, that's just that's what, what I'm wondering about. That's really Do worth you, wondering about. It really mm-hmm. is, and I'm curious, uh, Susan, because I'm sure you know, and Danielle, you too know a lot of gardeners. Uh, I'll just exit a, a left at that comment, but the <laughs> the. Is there a lot of discussion or do you know people who believe differently about um, communication and plants and and even talking to them? Because I I remember going through this kind of conversation with other people who were starting their hand out at gardening, just like balcony gardening and stuff, and wondering if other people talk to their plants as much as I do. Um, I I, I think people do. yeah, I I think people do. As things have said, Daniel, they're like friends. Um, yeah. They, you know, they're they're alive, and you 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 just tend to talk to them um, when 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 you're caring for them or or looking at them for for some reason. You you do you you just do. I I don't know. Um, well, you know, I, Susan. I think... Sometimes they're the most intelligent person in the room. sometimes you talk to them because you know you they they don't talk back they're never rude (laughs) and uh, and, yeah and you can just encourage them so yeah i think why wouldn't you talk to your plants why wouldn't you yeah and 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 i talk to i talk to my trees out in my uh little um area where i have my trees i do talk to my trees um i talk to others and you know the uh the other plants out there, um, and yeah, I I think a lot of gardeners do, and I think anyone who uh, uh, works with plants, I I think they do. I, I think they do talk to them definitely. I, I think they say that's perfectly normal. It's when they answer you back that you're in trouble. <laughs> oh yeah, well when that starts happening, that, no, that would be very yeah. frightening because you know they, they hear all those conversations. <laughs> yes, they do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they're always listening. <laughs> yes, they they are. Now, do, do you find that I, I know that people have done experiments where yeah. they they talk to some plants and not other plants, but I yeah. I don't recall. Have they actually found that that it has a, a beneficial effect? Um, you know that that the the plants do better the ones that are talked to than the ones that aren't. Yeah, I I I don't really know. Um. That's really interesting. I could probably, um, I won't say it too loud, and the plants in here might say, okay, don't pick me. <laughs> don't choose me to do that, to, to not be spoken to. Um, yes, I, I, I think there are experiments. I think a lot of um, small plants, especially, you can take into um you know, into a laboratory and do. And there's been all sorts of experiments. Like, do they make do they make noise? Can they can they hear? I I remember um, many years ago there was a where a um, a researcher actually uh, was uh, going to set the plants on fire. He said that no. um, he he did yeah, and he 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 did to one. But then after that, um, some of the other plants that were around. Um, they tended to not do well ar- around him, and all he had to do was bring the uh, the matches near. Um, oh and, and I don't know whatever happened to that experiment. Uh, I, I just remember re- re- you know reading that, and um, and I don't really know whether or not it it actually 
uh, was proven, although yeah. I'm, I think that some plants, um, there is a tree in Australia that um, when it senses fire, it actually sends its seed pods out um, mm-hmm. so that um, it, it would have another, genera- another generation, uh, mm-hmm. which is very interesting. So that, um, can it smell the fire? Does it feel the fire? Um, how close? I, I don't really know. Um, yeah. Is it I just the heat that maybe that, that, that liberates the, the, the pods that liber- or something yes. like that? But, you know, it's, it is it is interesting that a plant can also, you know, think, okay, survival, boom, yeah. out goes yes. the, the, the seeds, sure. you know, and, and, and not for anything else but fire. So that mm. that is interesting. Um, that, that part, I, it's, it, it is an interesting subject. and uh, Well, we do I, know I, how I, much plants adapt, right? Like just from talking mm-hmm. invasive and native species with you, we know oh, yeah. that yeah. <laughs> yeah. plants have Absolutely. thrived. Yeah. Well, yeah I, I, do you think that may, maybe endangered species know they are endangering? Mm-hmm. Um, no, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's that an, interesting be an interesting question, isn't it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. yeah. Oh, wow. Uh, well, yeah, Susan, as always, thank you so much for being with us. You always bring the most interesting issues and topics about plants. And I uh, i don't know, you always cheer me up when I think about my own plants. So thank you for all of your hard work. <laughs> thank you. Tune in for our gardening chats with Susan every second Thursday on Kelly and Company. So I hear you have 18 plants on your window. And one of these days, you're going to have to give us a good description on that, Danielle. <laughs> I, that's just <laughs> one window. I didn't <laughs> mention all the others. <laughs> it gets uh, gets a little bit silly, I'm afraid. I, I, I saw a cartoon of people at a garden center and asking, you know, what do you want? And the answer was all of them. is there anything we need to bring you on our collection segment but you know that's that's not till November No, we're we're gonna talk to a representative from March of Dimes Canada find out what they're doing for National Disability Employment Awareness Month because that is now in October so we'll be back with that on Kelly and Company Sometimes it's just nice to ponder. You don't necessarily know if you agree or disagree or what definitive side you're on with a question, but just to think about it and wonder what the implications could be, right? Communicating with plants. Just spent 15 minutes on that. It's like, hmm, you know, maybe you're not even a plant person and therefore can you really take part in that convo? I don't know. It's interesting to think about. I'm Ramya Amudin here with Danielle McLaughlin, and we have great conversations to come on Kelly and Company, so stick around with us till 4 p.m. Eastern Time. October is National Disability Employment Awareness Month, and March of Dimes Canada, we know, is doing a lot. They're connecting people with disabilities with the digital services, training, and skills that they need to 
achieve career success today and in the future. So we're going to chat more about the organization and some of these initiatives uh, with March of Dimes, Canada's official spokesperson for National Disability Employment Awareness Month, Gift Chuma, disability advocate and a assistive technology specialist about what the organization is doing to help in these contexts. Gift, thank you so much for joining us on Kelly and Company today. Thank you so much for having me. Very excited to chat with you. So let's start with you. What, tell us a little bit about yourself and why this work is meaningful to you. Yeah, um, I'm a disability rights activist and assistive technologist. Um, this work to me, it's more than just a job, to be honest. Um, it's a passion. Um, it's a passion because um, I understand what it's like to live with a disability and to experience barriers uh, to technology and for me to be able to assist others who look like me, um, it's just very fulfilling and um, uh, it's just a pleasure to do. That's mm -hmm. wonderful. Can, can you tell us a bit about your role at March of Dimes Canada? What is it that, that you do there? Yeah, so um, I work with clients with disabilities um, uh, who are clients of March of Dimes Canada and uh, I work with them to figure out what sort of assistive technology um, do they need, whether it's software, apps, or accessibility features um, to increase autonomy in their lives. And um, I focus on three environments, um, whether we're trying to increase autonomy within their workplace, within their education, or within uh, their social community uh, environment. And we try to maximize that as much as possible. Those are three uh, incredible places to start the conversations. And uh, I want to ask you what you think are the main barriers holding people with disabilities back from main, gaining that meaningful employment that we're all looking for or trying to reach. And what kinds of things um, is March of Dimes doing to help eliminate or at least minimize these barriers? Absolutely. Um, I think one of the main barriers that exist um, when it comes to employment for folks with disabilities, it's um, systemic barriers and attitudinal barriers. And what I mean by systemic barriers is, are the policies that are being created by organization, by corporate, by institutions, are they uh, designed, are they structured in a way that's not taking into account uh, folks with disabilities that do not have folks with disabilities in mind as contributing members of the economy. So that's mm. what systemic barriers, what I mean when say um, that there's systemic barriers that exist that are preventing that from happening. And then when we look at attitudinal is how are we seeing disability? How are we seeing accessibility? Are we looking at accessibility as a predefined destination point or are we looking at accessibility as a path that is ever changing that requires flexibility that requires understanding and agility very big uh, thing to think about is you know how these attitudes are really creating barriers but mm -hmm. one thing that's eliminating all kinds of barriers every day is assistive technologies but not everybody has the means to get these. Uh, how can March of Dimes help with that? 
Well, macho dams, we're doing quite a lot. <laughs> we're doing a lot to help with that. Um, we have uh, two programs that are actually three programs uh, that are in, 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 in place right now. We have our Tech for Impact Fund, um, which basically funds uh, clients with assistive technology um, for a budget of a maximum of $2,000 per client. Uh, that could be uh, getting a new laptop or a desktop or getting a mobile device. Um, like keep in mind that assistive technology is expensive and mm -hmm. some assistive technology may cost more than $2,000, but at least this is like a starting point to kind of um, help clients get to uh, where they need to reach uh, based on their goals and and uh, and, and dreams. Um, and then we have our Tech for Good program. Our Tech for Good program is in partnership with TELUS. And um, the way that program functions is um, we provide a free training uh, to clients who already own a mobile device. So we essentially look at what accessibility features do we need to explore to increase their usability, right? And uh, we look at free options, we look at inexpensive options, and then lastly, we would look at more expensive uh, options to ensure that um, autonomy is at the epicenter when it comes to using their mobile device. And within the Tech for Good program, additionally, uh, what we provide is um, if let's say, a client has a mobile device and they need um, another assistive device that complements the usage of that uh, mobile device that they own, we are able to fund that as well. And then the most exciting program that we have right now is the Scaling Up program. Um, this is uh, where uh, there's going to be free learning uh, opportunities. Um, that open up um, employment opportunities for folks with disabilities. And this skilling up is essentially providing digital skills that folks with disabilities need to thrive uh, within this ever-changing digital world. Um, and, you know, when we look at stats, we see that uh, uh, at the moment by 2025, 80% um, of employers are looking for uh, employees who have digital skills. So we're trying to equip um, folks with disabilities with those skills so that they can um, um, be competitive within the uh, employment sector. That's really important. And how, how is this uh, skilling up uh, program funded? Yeah, so it's in partnership with uh, Microsoft and uh, CIBC. Amazing. Mm -hmm. Very cool. I mean, to, or at least with Microsoft, a huge player in the tech game. And so um, mm -hmm. that importance of people with disabilities being recognized to, to have some of that specialized support is amazing. And then, you know, we keep the organizations on their toes as well of how much is being offered in accessible tech, right? So pretty amazing. Absolutely. Gift, what can people with disabilities do if they want to work, um, but are just feeling like they're stuck, they don't know which way to turn? How do you approach it from that level uh, at March of Dimes? Um, I would encourage them to contact us, to go to our page, uh, marchofdimes.ca, uh, 
uh, slash programs. They'll see all of our uh, tech for good programs. They'll see uh, the scaling up and as well the tech for impact programs and we'll be able to uh, fit them in and uh, help them in whatever need that they may have, whether it's employment, whether it's uh, technology, um, et cetera. Well, with employment, there's uh, so much mentorship. I found when I was working with staff at March of Dimes for a couple of years and I have low vision, um, there is a lot of incredible mentorship and just encouragement from professionals, um, from people with disabilities, uh, you know, networking, um, also just the kind of support you can get right into the workplace, right? Like, so it's yeah. not just, okay, come here talk with us and, and we can help you from here. But there is yeah. also a lot of following up in the workplace to make sure that things, the transition into work was going well, um, which I really appreciated as someone who was new to work. Mm, absolutely, absolutely. And I can speak to uh, within our unit uh, for assistive technology, um, some of us identify as uh, persons with disabilities. I identify as a wheelchair user, as someone with a physical disability. And um, yeah, it's, it's really great when we are trying to understand the barriers that the clients are experiencing, we're able to uh, respond uh, in a sensitive um, and uh, appropriate way. Mm-hmm. If, do, you, do you think we're trending towards a more inclusive economy or is there still too much work to do to uh, have that great hope? <laughs> That's a very good question. Um, there's always going to be work. There's always going to be work to be done. Uh, work can never be finished when it becomes, mm-hmm. when we're talking about inclus- inclusivity. But I think, yes, we're going towards the right direction. Over the last few years, we are seeing um, many sectors um, getting involved into these discussions and how do we create um, inclusive spaces and accessible spaces um, within our industries. And that's really exciting. But I think um, while these conversations are happening, it's really important for us to pay attention to what are the actionable items that those institutions or those organizations have. That's when I, I, uh, that's what I'm most interested about because it's easy to pay lip service. Uh, and it's one thing to have actionable items out in the open on what mm. we are doing to address these barriers. So, um, yeah, so definitely we're heading towards the right direction, but there's still work to be done. And I'm proud that, uh, you know, us at March of Times Canada and other organizations, uh, we are really getting into the weeds of things and we are making these actionable items by creating these services and programs to address the needs that we've been Amazing. hearing years. Amazing gift. Well, thank you so much. We've completely run out of time, but it was amazing talking to you. Uh, We were speaking with March of Dimes, Canada's official spokesperson for National Disability Employment Awareness Month, Gift Shuma. In the next hour of Kelly and Company, stick around for our chat and uh, information about the Ontario Science Centre. We also have our roundtable coming up with Mark Phoenix. But after the break, we have The Buzz with Bill Shackleton. We'll be right back.
Feels like we've zoomed into the first hour, I mean, second hour of Kelly and Company. We'll zoom backwards if it was the first hour. But anyway, <laughs> we're, we're having a good time here. It's Thursday, and we're going to get into the buzz with Bill, which is always a good time, uh, where he brings us some articles, and we flip through, get in our comments as well. And, you know, we're getting to the end of this month, which means there's going to be a new episode of the best of the Buzz with Bill podcast released just about a about a week away, I think. And uh, that'll be fun, too, because we can recap on some of the great conversations of October. Billy, do you uh, listen back to the podcast of the best of the Buzz with Bill? Or do you, do you have what? enough of us three days a week? Um... I haven't, and maybe I should, but I no, I haven't. And uh, <laughs> air check yourself? No, no, no. Yeah, uh, no, I don't. Um, and mm-hmm. should I guess? <clears throat> I mean, if you wanna. But I was just yeah. curious, you know, to see see what because we take a pride in what we pick for the best of the buzz. Me and Kelly, we have a really good time yeah. going back and telling Matt, oh, yeah, that was fun. Oh, yeah, this uh, Billy went off on this one, you know, that kind of thing. So <laughs> yeah, I, th- I was curious. I think I think um, I shouldn't find out which ones you guys actually use, right? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> what kind of picture are we painting of Billy when we yeah, drink that's, the vodka? Uh, I don't know how you, can, how you can pick a best. They're all so good. I know. It's well, true. Right? Yeah. It's like it's you pick the best of the best. They're they're all good, but some are better than others. As long as mm. you don't pick the duds, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, no duds today, right, Billy? Where do you want to start? I'm going to do this one. Hunters may soon. This is a carryover from yesterday, but hunters may soon be able to donate meat to Newfoundland and Labrador. Um, coming from the Canadian press, so there was a two-year project that allowed hunters to donate to food banks in Newfoundland and Labrador, and they wanted extended. Now, of course, now is a good time, uh, you know, it's as good a time as any to be able to do this because um, before, I guess, the meat had to be inspected and you couldn't use meat that you that the hunters caught. Um, but now they you, they are they have allowed um, meat to be donated. Now the one thing I wasn't able to find out in the in the article is it like is it fresh meat? Um, how how do you have to donate it? How soon after it's killed? Or do you can you if you see a dead moose on the side of the road <laughs> can you donate it? I don't know. That was one ah. of the things I wanted to find out. Um, Hmm. You would think that, you know, uh, some inspection, if it was, if if you found a dead something lying there, wouldn't you have, wouldn't it have to be inspected? I'm not sure what the the standards are for donating. I would, I would hope that you can't just donate some roadkill that, uh, and it says hunters. So I guess our our hope is that, you know, it's, it's fresh and, uh, and wholesome. But yeah, you're right. There better be some kind of a standard. Not healthy if there isn't. But well, that's interesting. I, I mean, that, that's a lot of meat. Um, I, I can remember one time I worked in a lab that um, somebody brought in a, 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 a freshly killed moose. And uh, we had a freezer room and it took up the entire room. Those are big animals. They are. Um, 
but it's really it's it's very especially this time of year yeah when food banks are you know low and 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 a lot of people in that area grew up on um with moose meat and yeah. i hope this project is allowed to continue because of course when you consider how much meat is meat goes to waste right and and because you can't donate it which it's kind of crazy yeah well it, it yeah to me it looks like a sensible thing to do uh, that's for sure the mm. uh, you know It'll people be need food. for some people yeah um, okay number 2 this is kind of interesting one too sleep acnea device recall drags on stoking frustration coming from the Associated Press. So these machines are continuous positive airway pressure or CAPA machines. And they, I guess they provide, I've never used one, but I guess they provide air pressure through a mask um, mm -hmm. so that you can breathe um, when you sleep. And they are, Philips is recalling them, but the problem they're having is that they're, they're in such high demand now that they, the original recall was going to be over this year, but it's going to drag on in the next year. And the danger with these machines is the insulated foam <clears throat> that I guess is used to cut down on the sound can break down. And it can be ingested through the through the mask. I, mm. I oh, no. what I understand. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, and the problem with doctor uh, the doc doctors are uh, saying if you can get a, re, a, a like a, a used machine, but um, but the problem with that is there are not as many of those around. So people are basically going without the therapy, and or they are removing the foam themselves, and which oh, is highly not recommended no not recommended no sleep apnea so. in itself is a dangerous condition right yeah. like it can it can yeah. lead you to be hospitalized and all these uh different things well, it's pretty scary hundred you can get like you wake up in the middle of the night hundreds of times apparently and it can cause heart attacks and a whole lot of kind yeah. of nasty things yeah you yeah. don't want to mess around with that that's for sure um, although uh, to be fair, those the CPAP machines can make a lot of noise. So I guess they're, they're oh really? You know, it's not usually the person who uses it who complains. It's the person sleeping next to them in next bed who them. complains, right? right? right. Yeah. But, Is there uh, not uh, more than one company making these things? Like it, it's kind yeah. of concerning. Well, that's what you would think so, right? But um, the yeah. recall is only Philips. But I guess they're oh okay, there is the, okay. Um, the U.S. I think is trying to you know, get get their foot on the gas and try to get more of these out. And yeah, I don't know. The article only mentioned Phillips. But and you I would guess think that there would be well more be companies, more, but yeah. Yeah. But I guess regardless, if we're thinking supply chain, you know, everyone's going after the same materials, right? To create yeah. manufacturers and such. So uh it, yeah, it is pretty scary. And they're saying what, five million plus devices yeah. recalled? Yeah, that is, yeah. That's, a, that's a, that lot. Is a lot. Yeah, yeah. Have mm. to take them a long time to repair all of those, won't it? Yeah. Gosh. Yeah. Well, but there's I, I in the article I see they say you keep using the machine um, because it's more dangerous 
for your health to be without it than to be yeah. on, than to use a okay. defective one. So, yeah. So maybe, maybe, maybe the, you won't, maybe they aren't all as bad as what they're making out to be, you know, maybe they're just taking precautions about some of these things. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But if they're recalling, maybe. that's, that's something there. Yeah. That sounds pretty serious. Yeah. yeah. Decision on their end. Yeah. yeah. One more, Billy. Uh, this is a really interesting one. RCMP probing Chinese police stations in the area. This is kind of really kind of scary. So an organization um, calling itself Guardian International has spread the alarm about what they call what is what they're calling Chinese police stations and in Canada. They are in Canada, for heaven's sake. Why would yes. they be called police stations, Chinese police stations? In um, so what they do, um, at least the organization alleges they do is they help renew driver's license and they help documentations. Um, but what they also are doing is they're coercing Chinese that are here, if, if that's going on. Because um, the RCMP are basically not commenting about it because the investigation is going on. But essentially what they allegedly do <laughs> is coerce nation, uh, Chinese nationals living here Denying them, saying if, if you don't come back, come home, then your people back home will be denied education and a whole lot of nasty things. It's really, to me, insane. Is what I mean? Why would they be called police stations when when they're you know they're not even you know <laughs> how can they be called a police station? Well, I mean, you can call it whatever you want, but I think it's it's to scare the you know the chinese nationals living yeah. in this country that's pretty awful actually wow. yeah um it it's certainly this is only in the gta by the way uh there's 70 around the world uh of these of these stations yeah um, but here in canada they're the ones that the rcmp is offer of yeah in yeah. this area I mean, they can't lawfully call themselves police stations yeah. but yeah, i guess you know they probably only do it in chinese so so that the rcmp which doesn't generally operate in chinese doesn't know what's going on that's uh that's quite worrying it is indeed my goodness gracious if if we'll see what happens in this probe if they if, you know if they say anything yeah well i wonder if they'll arrest people who are putting themselves out as chinese police officers yeah yeah i know yeah, I don't know. I don't know. The one spokesman basically said that they don't, you know, that they're 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 not involved in criminal activities. But who knows? Mm -hmm. Who knows? Well, there's probably a lot more secrecy than we realize. Yeah, yeah exactly. Do. I don't. Yeah. I, I you know I don't know if if you receive the phone calls that that come in Chinese. Um, yeah. They, you know, I I get them fairly frequently. And it's clear that they're threatening people. So, you yeah. know, if it, yeah. if it's a, I don't know if it's a government actor or a commercial actor or whatever it is, but whatever it is, it's not okay. Mm -hmm. No, it's mm -hmm. it's not. No. And so much of what we just dismiss as spam, we don't yeah. know or understand the other side of it. Yeah. That's right. That's right. We don't, we don't know who is actually being threatened by this because exactly. we just hang up. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. yeah. Billy, thank you. Thought-provoking. Oh, we'll talk tomorrow. Sounds good.
Bill Shackleton joining us for the buzz Wednesdays, Thursdays, and Fridays to kick off the second hour. After the break, we're checking in with Donna uh, Donna Francis. We're a researcher programmer at the Ontario Science Centre to discuss some of their latest exhibits. It's going to be fun. Stick around. This is Kelly and Company. This is Kelly and Company. I'm Ramia Amadan. Co-hosting with me today is Danielle McLaughlin. And we want to let you know that if you missed any of the programming or want to check it out on your own time, you can go to your favorite podcast platform and download the Kelly and Company podcast. Talking a little bit of spooky stuff on today's vanity card giving you some insights on the fear factors in my life. And, uh, of course, the vanity card is attached to the full show part podcast. You can also get the segmented form that's easier to share. Rate, review, and subscribe. We appreciate it here on Kelly and & Company. And back to you, Danielle. Ramia, there's always lots of cool stuff to learn, see, and do at the Ontario Science Centre. And yesterday, they launched a brand new exhibit called Indigenous Ingenuity, which lets guests discover how Indigenous science is timeless and experience the innovative process that gives rise to Indigenous knowledge. To learn more about that exhibit, as well as some other fun stuff happening there, we are joined by Donna Francis, research programmer at the Ontario Science Centre. And I would like to say a special hello to Donna, because uh, Donna and my husband, Huli, used to work together, and he would like me to say a special hello to Donna. <laughs> How are you, Donna? Oh, I'm doing very well. Thank you for that special uh, welcome. I'm, I'm so happy to be here. And it's so nice to hear your voice again. Can you Tell us what inspired the Indigenous Ingenuity exhibit. Yes, this uh, Indigenous Indigenous Ingenuity exhibit is actually a temporary exhibit that's on loan from the Montreal Science Centre. So it's only at the Ontario Science Centre for a limited period of time. And the Montreal Science Centre, they pulled it together in collaboration with uh, Indigenous experts to work on a number of the different stages of its development. And it's really designed to highlight how the Indigenous peoples of North America have always demonstrated tremendous ingenuity inspired by nature. Um, It's a great opportunity to see how Indigenous science and innovation has shaped our world. Oh, that sounds so exciting. That really does. And I'm so curious about it. So can you give us a sneak peek on the kinds of things that we can learn, uh, do and experience at the exhibit? Absolutely. So I'm going to kind of walk you through it a little bit. Um, First of all, uh, you need to know that it is an interactive quest with an RFID bracelet. And with that bracelet, it allows you to activate different experiences that you'll go through at this exhibition. And the goal, the quest, is to find 26 Indigenous innovations. So you explore through the space, which is a really gorgeous, beautiful space, and there's a number of different interactives. There's audio quizzes, 
There are video interactives where, you know, you might have a real tool that you're using that triggers a video. Uh, there are physical challenges to build. You can move light objects from here to there to show, like, what you think is the right answer. There's so many different interactions that um, encourage our visitors to collaborate with one another, sometimes to compete with one another, uh, mm. to solve problems, and to play games. This sounds really fun as well as extremely interesting. How do you hope that this exhibition will challenge people's preconceived notions and learn more about uh, nature that's around us? Oh, absolutely. It really gives you uh, a new perspective, even for things that you might have already experienced or seen before. I found going through it that I learned so much about things that, you know, I thought I knew about. Like, I, I do a lot of canoeing. But when I went to the, the exhibit on canoes, it really laid out so nicely all the different shapes, the different building materials, the different ways you might use a canoe, the different ways to, um, to direct it. Um, I think at, at each experience, there is just such a wealth of knowledge that's presented in a really accessible, fun, interesting manner. Um, yeah, I think it for me, it really highlighted the uh, Indigenous science and the, the whole process that gives rise to Indigenous knowledge. Mm -hmm. I, I think that that will really, um, you know, give a new perspective to people but they'll see the diversity and the wealth of, uh, of Indigenous knowledge and innovation, um, not just as something historical that's happened in the past, but something dynamic and really presented in its proper context as, as science, you know? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes, that's a really good point. And the the highlight for me as I'm hearing you talk about is this notion of sharing, right? Like not the the um, secrets of the Indigenous peoples or anything like that. It's the, the sharing and the the vast amount of love for wanting us to to learn um, from this. And I think it's it's wonderful. It's obviously timely with everything that we're uh, learning already. And it's it's really beautiful to do it at the Science Center. And so cool. You mentioned the canoe exhibit. Is that the highlight for you? Or did you have another one you wanted to share um, from the exhibit? I actually have so many different highlights that it could take <laughs> another half an hour. But I, I respect your time. I realize I can't do that. Um, I, I think one, one part of the exhibit that I really enjoyed a lot was the animal calls, which is an audio quiz where you listen to a call and you determine if it's actually from the animal or from a skilled person making Oh, my gosh. That's, yeah. That's so fantastic. <laughs> and I have to tell you, I was doing this with my colleagues. So I had two colleagues with me. And while we really enjoyed the process of guessing based on our experiences, we were just so filled with awe at the techniques of um, this, this particular bearer of knowledge, Jacques Curtinus. Um, we saw the video of him um, making those calls so we could oh, see what was involved. And then we watched a video of him teaching a young boy the same techniques and passing along his knowledge. So just like you were saying earlier, that that sharing 
And, yes. and listening to elders is such a vital part of transmitting this knowledge. We really saw it in action. And it was such a, I don't know, I'm trying to convey, but they were joking and laughing. And it was just such a wonderful moment of, you know, intergenerational um, mm. knowledge being shared and, and just being in this natural environment and being observant to the world around you. It was just, yeah, it just, wow. <laughs> it was, that, that was definitely a highlight for me. Yeah. Now, did you try to make some of those sounds yourself? <laughs> <laughs> well, one of them was a loon and I typically only bust out my loon call <laughs> when I'm camping. So I did not do it then, but Aww. I was closely watching to see if I could, you know, up my game the next time right. that I, oh, that's good. I try to yeah. call a loon. Mm-hmm. Well, my my husband Huli does a fine loon call, I have to say, mm. and he has actually got it on his phone as the the the, the ringtone. So people always look around wildly when his phone <laughs> rings, thinking, "Is there actually a loon here?" <laughs> Amazing! Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, oh my goodness! So, can, can you tell us what guests can experience at the Regalia, the uh, Indigenous Pride Exhibit? What's the story behind that? Yes, so Regalia is a complimentary exhibit, and it's a photog- it's, um, it's a set of photographs. These are mm-hmm. large-scale portraits. There's about 30 of them, and uh, you walk into, you enter this large open structure where all these portraits are displayed. It's very immersive. It's very inviting, and um, you have this opportunity to see these portraits of children, women, and men from 14 different First Nation communities dressed in traditional regalia, as well as casual clothing. And each photograph has a description of, of that individual, their background, their regalia, and we often get to learn a bit more about that person's uh, personal life experiences, their choice of regalia, and uh, often highlights something historical or traditional that you can see in that regalia that they're wearing. Mm-hmm. Wow. So That's much fabulous. to learn. And it's not just with this. By the way, how long is this exhibit staying at the OSC? It's uh, until April. Mm-hmm. Okay, amazing. Whew, I was like, oh, only a couple of days or something. But no, <laughs> we can uh, take our time and go visit once, twice until <laughs> we perfect those bird calls. Now, it's a busy time for the Ontario Science Centre with a lot of fun things going on for families. Can you talk about the Halloween-themed spooky science exhibit? So Spooky Science is actually a program that runs. It's a special program with uh, lots of activities for visitors of all ages, um, and it's all aligned with the Halloween theme. Um, So our families can make oozy slime, they can build a bristle bot, they can make, uh, meet some creepy crawly creatures like stick bugs and cockroaches, and maybe even a snake. Yeah. Nice. So yeah, there's lots going on there. It's really, um, really engaging. Uh, we've had families coming back time and time again for this. Um, and this is the last weekend for it. Ah. It'll be on Saturday and Sunday from 11 a.m. until 3.30. Well, I guess Halloween oh, is Halloween. Monday. So yeah. yeah. That's, and I want to make sure that people know that uh, 
We love to see our visitors um, wearing costumes, so feel free to wear your costume and uh, really get into the Halloween spirit with this exhibit, with this program. That sounds like so much fun. So you see all sorts of little kids and maybe not so little kids running around the (laughs) Science Center dressed as every creature there is? That's right. That's right. (laughs) Oh, that's wonderful. Now, where can people go to learn more and to plan their visits to the Science Center, Donna? You can always go online and um, check us out at the website, ontariosciencecenter.ca. And we haven't chatted with you guys in a a while, so I just want to put this question out there for our listeners um, on the accessibility of the space, if you don't mind uh, mentioning that. Yes, so this space, uh, the Great Hall in particular, where Indigenous Ingenuity and Regalia are, it is is accessible. We have elevators that um, will bring folks up to those, those areas. We also have a variety of interactives. So, so while some things might be um, very visual and with videos, there are also quite a few things with like audio quizzes. Um, yeah, I, th- I would say that we are really trying our best to be as accessible as possible. Well, Amazing. that's certainly good to know. I, I know that um, there was a time that some of the exhibits had Braille. Are there any um, currently with with, uh, with Braille on, on, the, on, the, on the signage? I am trying to think about whether or not, I, I don't think that there is any within this temporary exhibition, but within our other exhibit, I, I would really, I'm sorry, I would have to look that up and see. I, I, I think that there are some, but not everyone. I know our elevators, of course, have, have rails um, to help with folks reaching the, the floor that they desire. But other than that, I'm trying to, um, I'm trying to determine whether or not. I, I would have to, I'll, I'm happy to look that up and, and get back to you on that. Thank you so much, Donna. I really loved hearing your voice again and finding out about Mm -hmm. all the exciting things going on at the Ontario Science Centre. Thank you. You're very welcome. Thank you for having me. We were joined today by Donna Francis, researcher programmer at the Ontario Science Centre to discuss some of their latest exhibits. Check it out. They have it until April, the uh, Indigenous exhibit. After the break, we're checking in with our good friend, Mark Phoenix. Excited to have him on the roundtable. That's next on Kelly and Company. Thanks for joining us on Kelly and Company. Remember that we repeat the program every eight hours. That is the rotation on AMI-audio. So if you missed any part or if you prefer a different time, you can always check us out on our first repeat at 10 p.m. Eastern time where we are an evening show. And then again at 6 a.m. when we're a morning show. (laughs) And then, of course, factor in your own time zones and uh, it's all different altogether. But 2 p.m. Eastern time is our daily weekday live airing of Kelly and Company.
We're going to get into the roundtable conversation. This is a weekly chat where we handpick the topics and bring it to the show. The people who join us are surprised weekly at what we find and <laughs> uh, end up discussing. And of course, Danielle, being the co-host of today's show, is one victim. And the other victim who we bring on <laughs> quite regularly is Mark Phoenix. But this time it has been a while uh, as Mark has moved to the East. So nice to have you back on. How are you? Oh, I'm doing great out here in the future, Ramya and uh, Danielle. <laughs> Hope things are good back in the past. I guess that's it. Yeah, you, you are, you in, are the in the future. <laughs> the sun yes, rises I, early. An hour and a half. That's right. That's perfect. <laughs> How is Newfoundland treating you, man? Uh, you know what? It's treated me so well so far. It's a you know it's a rainy day. It's been a bunch of beautiful days. The people have been awesome, um, and it's just been so much less stressful in my life since I got mm. out here. And I can't sing the praises of enough. So you better stop me before I do. <laughs> okay. or, or before we move out there with you right that was my plan uh, we yeah. mark and i had a great conversation a couple days before he left and i was like oh now i want to move <laughs> it's, it's so nice There's places for sale yeah, the yeah. thank you thank you uh, but I do want to ask before we get into roundtable chat did you unpack everything yet no we are about okay to. there's um we got one big piece of renovation done. We had a second major piece, which we were hoping to deal with, but it's going to take so long that we're just going to push it back to the spring and live with things as they are right now. Yeah. The place is livable. It's wonderful. So like, it was more of a like, cosmetic and you mm. know, future-proofing type thing. But, you know, it can wait and we'll unpack our clothes and uh, live on the carpets and it'll be great. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, of course. Living the life. I yeah. I love, this is my new fascination when friends and people I know move. Uh, I check in with them, you know, at the three-month mark, the six-month mark, and the one-year mark to be like, so do you still have any unpacked boxes? Because I, for one, uh, <laughs> at the nine-month mark still had some boxes. So oh, it's quite course. fun. <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's, so. it's the 17-year mark that worries <laughs> me. <laughs> 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 Got to talk to my mom, Danielle. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so I have some uh, conversation starters lined up for us here. Let's start with this one. Uh, not so great, but I want to get your feelings on it. An Indigenous man wrongly arrested, along with his granddaughter, for trying to open a bank account says the absence of the two police officers from a scheduled apology ceremony will leave the traumatic incident unresolved. Maxwell Johnson says he's disappointed that the two Vancouver Police Department officers who handcuffed him and his granddaughter will not attend the ceremony in his central coast community of Bella Bella. When we do a ceremony, they got to be here in order to, for it to be finished. So having them not here, it just it's like a roadblock to us now. So we can't come full circle now. So it's going to be on our minds until we, we do finish that, the healing process. Members of the Vancouver Police Sport, including uh, Police Chief Adam Palmer, are in Bella Bella to attend Johnson's Heilsuck First Nation uh, ceremony. And they're saying it's going to be an uplifting ceremony to help Johnson and his family deal with the trauma of the arrest, the wrongful arrest. Now, we're coming off the tail end of uh, speaking about the Indigenous exhibit at the Ontario Science Centre. Um, and coming from that 
beautiful conversation of what we can learn, what we can share and how we can respond. And I mentioned slightly the times that we're living in and the kinds of attitudinal changes that need to happen in so many of us uh, living in Canada. So I want to come around the table and ask you, uh, Mark, first, how does this sit with you? The fact that these police officers are basically you know, boycotting this ceremony, allegedly, and uh, not going to be around and how important you can tell that this is for the family to release this feeling, this not out. Well, it strikes me that if we were talking about a court proceeding right. where, you know, an accused had refused, you know, refused to show up, refused to show remorse, refused to, you know, you know, say anything to the family, they would get blasted. Um, but in this in this process, which is more of, um, you know, more of an effort at a restorative justice uh, process, where the very people who committed the very act that caused the conflict refused to show their face, refused to meet the people who they harmed, um, is somehow treated as a matter of debate. And the real issue is this was a conflict, and this is an effort at conflict resolution, and the people who um, caused the conflict, for whatever reason, are refusing to you know, engage in the process. And I, it comes from a very institutionalized, litigious legal mindset that you never admit responsibility. You let the organization speak for you. You hide behind the organization. Mm. And it's, it's a microcosm of everything that of the, all the various rifts between, you know, indigenous culture and ways of life and nations and those ways of living and, you know, the settler colonial ways of living and how those are still coming into conflict after all of this time. And it, it, you know, it, it makes a mockery of the concept of reconciliation when yes. you can't even get reconciliation between individuals. You can't. And that's interesting, right? Because there's this uh, one side, another side. And I think like what's legal, what's on paper, as you mentioned, the the logistics, if this was a court procedure of people needing to show up or else it cannot happen. But then there's the moral and the mental health and this circle that he's talking about in the clip of um, having to complete the cycle, having to put it out of our minds and the physical gesture and action of being handcuffed by these two individuals and saying, please show up so that we can um, move that we can move forward from that act. That's what gets me, Danielle. Well, you know, the, the, the story needs to be updated, which is that they canceled the ceremony because huh. those two police officers didn't show up. And I don't recall if you're uh, uh, if, if the clip mentions that the child was 12 years old when when wow. she was handcuffed at, with her grandfather. I mean, it is an appalling story and it is made much worse by the fact that the uh, the arresting officers did not show up. I, I agree in, entirely with uh, Mark. It's it's just it's it's so wrong in so many ways. The you know the police office you know felt that they could apologize on behalf of the officers who refused to show hmm. up. That's not the way it works. That's you know that that is not an apology. That's that's something else. It's you know it, it's sort of you know a tip of the hat, but. You're right. I mean, if if this were a court process, they would be required to be there. 
And uh, I, I just found it a very disappointing thing altogether. Very upsetting. I think maybe the struggle is and the challenge is that it's not a court process. It's yeah. not something legal. It is, you know, your feelings and your emotions and how you're going to respond uh, that get you to the ceremony. And mm -hmm. unfortunately, uh, you know, for whatever reason, these officers not showing up, is it you're not going to take accountability? Is it that you don't care for the fact uh, that for the the notion of reconciliation, you know, whatever it is that we're led to believe and, and however we respond to it ourselves um, is, I think, the sad part, you know, like because it's so it's almost intimate, right? Talking, mm -hmm. hearing it from this person who's gone through it to say, I really need you there to to make this work for yeah, me to move I'm on. Completely right. I, I just, yeah. And, you know, it, some people are, are afraid to apologize because they think it will make them lose face. Um, yeah. But uh, I think in, in reality, you lose face when you fail to apologize. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, we're going to move on here, but just definitely something to think about. And I appreciate both of your comments on it. Um, here's the next piece of news. Clorox has issued a recall of some of its cleaning products in the U.S. Clorox cleaning product recall due to possible bacteria. Clorox says it has recalled its scented multi-surface cleaners and all-purpose cleaners. The cleaners may contain a bacteria that could cause serious illness in people with compromised immune systems. The recall doesn't include its iconic original pine-scented pine sol, which is its only product registered as a disinfectant. The recall also includes scented Clorox Pro Pine Sol all-purpose cleaners and Clorox Professional Pine Sol Lemon Fresh Cleaners. The recall affects products produced between January 2021 and September 2022. Consumers should take pictures of the 12-digit UPC code and the date code, throw the product in its container in the trash, and contact the company for a refund. I'm Lisa Dwyer. Now, the reason why this was... <laughs> reason when I want to get your reaction on that too, Danielle, first, before I tell you why I picked this clip. What was well, the for goodness sake about... <laughs> The idea that something that, that you purchase in order to make things clean makes them dirty is really, that's terrible. Oh, my goodness. Like, how could you, I, you haven't even come up with that. I would have thought that, you know, just the, the formula would be enough to, to never mind. To clean? Yeah. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but, awful. Mark, the fact that only pine salt is a registered disinfectant, okay, out of all the all these Clorox products and more that they mentioned in this uh, clip. It, the fact that pine salt is it's the only thing labeled as a disinfectant kind of concerns me because we went through so much cleaning and disinfecting and hand sanitizing and everything else um, in the last several years and being so conscientious about that do you think enough of us were paying attention to what we should actually be using? Well, I mean, it's hard to pay attention when you have a blizzard of advertising blasted right? in your face all the time telling you this cleans, no, this cleans, no, this cleans 10 times better. Mm -hmm. And I, I suppose, you know, you have to go back to, you know, what is what do we mean when we say cleaning? Well, we're trying to, you know, kill off bacteria and break down viral protein coats. And you do that with soap and water and sometimes, you know, alcohol. Uh, and a lot of these, a lot of these cleaning chemicals are basically gussied up alcohol. 
Um, I know I was doing some bathroom cleaning for a while with a bottle full of some vinegar and some soapy water. Shake it up, Mm. spray it on. Works great on surfaces. Um, And it's just, it's a little funny that, (laughs) you know, they're sinking all this money into a production line, into various processes, and the whole thing, you know, ends up falling to some bacterium that they didn't uh, test for, and goodness knows how much you spent on it. So, you know, like, don't fall all over yourself if you don't think you have the right cleaning product. You know, soap and water does fine on a lot of things. And, you know, if you need something a little stronger, get some bottle out, you know, like rubbing alcohol or mm. isopropanol. You can get that at the drugstore. Um, you know, leave, leave the, leave the advert, leave the, uh, shiny stuff for the advertisements. <laughs> but what if they smell so, good? No, kidding. Yeah, that's, well, that's mm, the well, thing. That's what you're issue. buying. You, the right. smell, right? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh yeah no it is it was definitely that moment when i heard this for the first time going wait what why is it <laughs> did i know that um okay how many of us are utilizing cleaning products correctly and is there even a correctly to begin with as you're saying the shelves are full and the marketing is exceptional because we all need it you'll market it to us right so interesting Uh, You guys want to get to some tech trends with me? This is from earlier in the week as well. Amazon is going up market with a new TV. Tech trends. Amazon is pushing into the high end of the smart TV market. Details after this. Digital trends. Caleb Dennison says Amazon's latest TV is called the Omni QLED. This is a TV, you know, with Amazon's branding. It's got the Fire TV interface built into it. And it's a higher-end TV than we've seen from Amazon before. You can get a 65 or 75-inch version. Regardless of what you choose, you get Amazon's Quantum Dot technology. So that you get better colors and brighter colors and a brighter image. And when you're not watching something... The TV also has sensors built in, so it knows when you've walked into the room and then can put art up on the screen. Uh, in a sort of ambient mode. Denison says pricing, while steep, is competitive with the rest of the market. Looks like you'll be able to get a 65-inch model for 800 and a 75-inch model for 1100 which is great pricing for uh, a high enough performance TV. With Tech Trends, I'm Sherry Preston, ABC News. I heard Danielle say, oh, no, when it said that it was it knows when you I walk in. I don't want a television that knows when I walk in the room. I'm sorry. But Danielle, Life is they hard all enough do. as it is. Right, exactly. Yeah, they do. Yeah. They listen well, to you. It's quite uh, – what do you guys think about the price point, though? I want to start there. I don't know if they were talking U.S. They didn't clarify. I'm assuming mm-hmm. so. 900 U.S., it's pretty typical for a TV. But, Mark, do you pay attention to this kind of stuff? Um, there was a point specifically. a few years ago where I just started dropping out of this kind of stuff because the tech, you know, the, the things being promised and offered were just not significant upgrades from just, you know, here's a, here's a screen. It shows pictures. It plays audio. It works. <laughs> It'll connect to, you know, a device. And now it's, you know, we'll, you know, we'll put all these uh, streaming programs in and we will also sell the information on what you're watching to five different data brokers and probably exactly. three. Yeah. Like uh, Danielle, you up and said you don't want your TV watching when you come in. I mean, it's bad <laughs> enough that we feel like speakers that are listening to every word you say, sending mm-hmm. that back to the mothership. Um, I've been known when I get in a room with an, a, one of the Amazon units to yell, Alexa, go on strike. <laughs> and does and she? Is, you do it, it actually starts reading the re- telling you how to form a union. So you know, <laughs> <laughs> the machine from 
helpful <laughs> helpful what what kind Very of information are you feeding to your alexa oh all the alexas are going <laughs> off now uh-oh um uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> set him off mark uh this was really fun mark thank you so much for joining us on the round table always appreciate it and you know it doesn't matter how far you go we're not gonna take you off the round table Every time I try to get out, you pull me back in. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And Kelly did it. He's not even here. Shout out to Kelly. Thanks, Mark. Enjoy the rest thank of you. your uh, move. Chat soon. Yes, I will. And thank you, Ramya and Danielle, for having me on to run my mouth yet again. <laughs> always, always. Keeps us uh, keeps us refreshed with these perspectives. Mark Mark Phoenix joining us on the roundtable. Um, and Danielle, aside from the privacy part of it, if you can take that out of the equation at all, do you care about the the pixels of the TV? No, you know, if I can, <laughs> if I can see the program, I get what it is. It's kind of like how I feel about a lot a lot of machinery. Like a car should have four wheels and something to steer with. You know, like I can't get excited about this kind of fancy stuff. And as they say, if the price is really low, it's because you are the product. Uh huh. <laughs> Uh-huh. Perfect note. <laughs> yes. That's the round table. <laughs> we'll be back. We're going to wrap up the show, tell you what's coming up on tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown after the break. Welcome back to Kelly and Company. We are in the midst of wrapping up here. Very awesome show with so much conversation that we want to highlight for you so that you can check it out on your favorite podcast platform later. Share it with your friends and your family. Uh, It's been a lot of learning. Definitely a lot of learning and some themes going around in our discussions as well. Danielle, we'll start with you and pick one of your uh, favorites for podcasting. Okay. Well, I have to say that Susan Kearney is definitely one of my all-time favorites. She uh, talked talking about whether plants feel emotion and, uh, you know, how we feel about our plants. I, I really enjoyed speaking with her and she has, she always has a, a an interesting take on things, doesn't she? She's quite she lovely. Does. Yes, she does. And I think it's really great to hear that kind of um, conversation, especially from someone who loves her plants, loves talking gardening all times of the year as well. So very nice talking to Susan every other week, of course. Yes. Uh, Also talking to, yes, talking to Donna Francis, first of all, um, talking Ontario Science Centre at all is always very exciting. Uh, But talking to Donna Francis about this new exhibit uh, celebrating Indigenous peoples and their innovations and nature uh, was lovely. You know, hearing her get uh, excited about talking about her favorite parts of the exhibit and describing some of the activities that are available. You know, if you're in the GTA and um, like me, you haven't gone to the Science Centre in a while, I think it's time to revisit. (laughs) absolutely it's always wonderful at the science center yes it is also if you can make it there this weekend or by the end of this weekend you'll catch their spooky halloween exhibit as well i think it's called spooky science so um that'll be great for you and check out that podcast conversation 
on your own time whenever you feel like it. Now, let's find out what's coming up on tomorrow's edition of Now with Dave Brown. That's Friday morning with the gang at 9 a.m. Eastern time on AMI-tv. Paul Daniel is one of the producers, and he's going to preview us, uh, preview for us what's happening. Hey, Paul. Hey, Rami. On tomorrow's show, I have the Friday news panel, and they'll be talking about everything from the uh, uh, England ousting one prime minister and naming a new one uh, on the space of one week. And on a lighter note, <laughs> uh, there's a new thing called in travel called sleep tourism. People are traveling to locations outside the city, outside the province, and the country to find a place just to get a good night's sleep. And there are hotels offering special amenities like soundproof rooms to accommodate these sleep, t- sleep tourists. So the panel will wonder, how far would you go to get some restful slumber? Entertainment critic Michael McNeely reviews the movie The Black Phone. And with Halloween around the corner, Greg David from our marketing department will tell us about some special Halloween programming. Okay. Amazing. Sounds like a really packed lineup to send people into the weekend with. Uh, how far would you go, Paul? Is your sleep disturbed enough that you would go well, first far? First of all, I've been disturbed for a long time. Ask <laughs> uh, That's ask why I phrased the... it about sleep. <laughs> Oh, sleep. Oh, thank you. You already knew. Okay. No, uh, I don't know. It depends. A, a good hotel that offers a, offers a comfortable bed and a place to sleep is hard to find. It isn't as common as you might think, especially when oh. it comes to hotel beds. It's true. Yeah. Find, a, find me a good bed and uh, a quiet room. I'd be, I, I, would, uh, I wouldn't mind considering it. You'd pay some good money. Sleep is okay. hard to come by nowadays. Really? It's true. Yeah. For a lot for of people. Me, not, no. just, not just myself. For a lot of people. Yeah. Yeah, well... <sighs> Work on it. I mean, if <laughs> I was thinking more of luxury Good sleep, advice. but yeah, exactly. <laughs> Get some Work sleep. On it. It's your problem. <laughs> Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Take care. Paul Daniel is one of the producers on Now with Dave Brown. I'm just saying, I love my sleep, and I easily find it. I know that that's that's a luxury. It's a privilege of mine. But if you can't, then maybe. One of these options. I'm definitely curious. Danielle, thank you so much for joining me today. You are not here tomorrow, but you are here on Monday for Know Your Rights. So we look forward to chatting with you then. It, it will be a lot of fun on Monday. And uh, it's the sixth anniversary of Kelly and Company's being on air and mine too. Yes, that's right. Yes. yes. And you have a wonderful guest for us today. We'll tell people about it tomorrow. Thank Talk you. soon. Bye bye now. And on tomorrow's Friday edition of Kelly and Company, we got lots for you. App update with John Beeler talking about a screenless smartphone. What does that even mean? He's going to tell us more. We're also talking about a para tough cup uh, championship coming on very soon. Grant Hardy has some lifestyle chat for us. And we have a spooky edition instead of cut for time, a spooky edition of story time. That's going to be a major throwback. I'm not here tomorrow, but we will have a great show with Margaret Weldon and Kelly McDonald. So tune in tomorrow, 2 p.m. Eastern. What is it about scary movies and scary TV shows that some of us can watch and some of us are like, nah, uh, uh, don't bring that near me around Halloween. And, you know, my brother and I had such an interesting conversation about this the other day. For him, he says that once the jump scares are over, because jump scares are what get him, then it's over for him. He doesn't take it with him. Once the adrenaline rush is done, if he turns off the the tv show because he can't handle it anymore then that's it that's it it's over for him for me i carry that feeling and that story and that 
whoa, what's happening? Is it around me? What's going on? For days, months sometimes, and every dark, scary night after the night that I've watched something that really got to me, it is sticking with me. So now with audio description, I can't get away from it. Because before audio description, there was that opportunity to say, I don't know what's happening. I mean, people are scared. Something scary must be going on. But now with the descriptions of the paranormal, of the people, of the characters, of the shadows, of the sounds, of the everything that's going on, I carry the fear with me through the nights and if it's a TV show, then through many nights and I think that's why I really have to decide ahead of time if I am going to be invested in that baggage because I can't just turn it off when the movie's... The Walrus is Canada's conversation and you're invited to take part. Download AMI's Voices of the Walrus where professional narrators read selected articles from the magazine. Available wherever you download your AMI podcasts. Off.